reading of God's Word. Um, our children can be dismissed right now for our children's hour. Children's workers hear me say that children's hour, and they probably say, oh, no. I'll say children's 40 minutes. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. You can be seated. I want to just make a a couple of announcements that relate to our church. Last Sunday, we had a fellowship dinner here, and we discussed what it meant to be a member of North Valley Bible Church. And so several, several families uh, stayed for that. Maybe you weren't able to make it and you would still like to uh, know more about what it means to be a member of our church. I've got um, a doctrinal statement that I can share with you. You can read it over, ask me questions. Um, we could meet personally if that's better suited for you. But for those who did attend last week and you say, this is where God is leading me. This is where I want to be a member. This is where I want to be committed. This is where I want to use my spiritual gifts. Then the only step that is left is just for you to approach myself or um, Elder Soren and just come and share your testimony of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. To be a member of a church, you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and be willing to follow Him as Lord and submit to biblical baptism, confessing Jesus Christ as your Savior and going to a baptism by immersion. And so some of you may have not been baptized yet, and, and, and don't let that hinder you from joining the church. We will um, expedite the, the baptism before winter sets in. We'll, we'll do something quickly. Um, the other thing, that, that as a church, we have opportunities to minister to each other. And there are families within our small little body that... We need to rise up and and stand in the gap. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 22 says, God is seeking for people to stand in the gap to make up the hedge for the land. And oftentimes there are families within our church body that just need somebody to come and stand in that gap and make up the hedge. And right now, we've got a family that's, that's grieving. We've lost a dear, dear member of our church family. And I, I, miss, I miss Bill every, every Sunday. Him sitting back there asking questions and pulling out Bible verses. But he's, he's missed at home a father 
a dad, a husband, a spouse that's irreplaceable. And we have an opportunity as a church. And I'll let Barbara De La Rosa tell just a little bit about a ministry that she's providing for us to come and, and to do something substantial for, for them. Barb, you want to just share a little bit? Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Um, the other thing, we have a sign-up genius, and it's for um, the Wendt family. Caleb and Tanya have just had number seven. <laughs> I think it was last Sunday. She was out to here. <laughs> and I got a text message before I got too far from the church said, the water has broke and the baby is on the way. So um, there's another opportunity to serve that family. Now I'm going to try to finish chapter 2 this morning. And before I move to chapter 3, I'm going to preach the entire chapter 2. And my dear wife has reminded me that I have been getting longer-winded and longer-winded. <laughs> and this Sunday, I happen to be preaching an entire chapter. So I am going to try to be brief in what I have to say. And so you're going to have to listen and take notes in order to remember what I said this morning. But if you look at our text, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers. Before Paul moves on to picking up his prayer in chapter 1, verse 15, he's going to finish up all that God has done for Gentiles and bringing them together under one body called the church. God had chosen from the beginning to elect those who are in Christ. This was radical for New Testament people to think that God had always planned to bring Jewish people and Gentile people together and to form a new community which is called the temple. The Jewish people prided themselves in having the temple. This is where you met with God. Gentiles were not allowed into the temple area. There was a middle wall separating Jew and Gentile in worship. And now Paul writes this little letter to the group of believers in Ephesus and says, God has always intended to bring all these people together and to bring a spiritual temple. They built a beautiful edifice. Solomon did. Nebuchadnezzar, who we just read a little bit about, he came and he destroyed and he raised that temple to the ground and he burned it. A little remnant came back when Cyrus the Persian became the king of the Media Persia Empire. And... Isaiah predicted 200 years before Cyrus was ever born that a king was going to give a decree for God's people to go back and rebuild their temple before the temple was even ever destroyed. And Hosea, I'm sorry, Haggai and Zechariah are ministering to that remnant of people and they are told 
to get back to work because one day God is going to bring such glory to a new temple, a temple that cannot be shaken. And all that was a mystery in the Old Testament. What did that even mean that God was going to bless Jew and Gentile and there was going to be this new temple? It is you and I this morning. Now, therefore, you and I are no longer strangers. We are no longer foreigners. We are fellow citizens. We are part of the commonwealth of Israel. We inherit all the covenant blessings that God intended for His covenant people, the Jewish nation. That through this one people, God is going to bless all people. That we would inherit a king from the line of David. That God would enact a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And that we would participate in this new covenant where God writes the word of God in our hearts. And I no longer have to teach Keith or Max or Jose because you have the Holy Spirit living in your heart and God will teach you and write it on your heart. And God will remember your sins and your iniquities no more. And we are participating in all those covenant blessings. So now, therefore, you are no longer what you used to be. So I want to just look briefly this morning at what you used to be. And I want you to look at the Scripture and say, is this true? Is this what I used to be? Am I no longer these things? And if it doesn't fall true for you, how can, they make it, how can I make it true for my life this morning? What did you used to be? And so I'm going to give you those things. That's our first point this morning in your outline. And I've got about six sub-points here. So what was it that I used to be? Used to be, number one, I used to be dead in my sin. That's what I used to be. That's what you used to be. You used to be dead in your sin. You were separated from God and you were a slave to sin. Ephesians 2.1 You are no longer what you used to be. You are no longer dead in your sin. You are no longer separated from God. B. We used to walk according to the course of this age. That's what we used to walk according to. Our life was patterned according to the course of this age. Our lives were influenced by Satan and an agenda that is dominated by a subtle exclusion of God. That's what you used to be. Ask yourself this morning, are you still living in a subtle exclusion of God in every part of your life? Because that's what you used to be. It is so easy to get drawn back into that where God is sort of excluded and God is an add-on maybe when you say a prayer at night or maybe when you sit down and have a meal and you give a lip service to God. That's what you used to be. Now God is no longer that kind of God for you. You are no longer walking under the subtle influence that God does not exist in your daily life. See, you conducted your lives by lust. Whatever your flesh and physical and mental desires wanted, you were controlled and your decisions were compelled by things of a passion that was without God. Two, three. Among whom we conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind. 
Are you still there? Or is that what you once were? Was it your flesh that drove you? It was, was it the desires of your mind that once drove you? Have you been delivered from that? Are you no longer that? Because that's what you used to be. We're not that anymore. D, we were by nature children of wrath. That's what you and I once were. We were under God's divine displeasure because we had rejected and we rebelled against Jesus Christ and submitting to His Lordship. That is the sin that God is going to send you to hell for. It's not for lying. It's not for stealing. Oh yes, all those sins condemn us. But the final sin that will bring you to hell is rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord. And you are a child of wrath if you haven't accepted Christ. And that's what you once were. And you're no longer that. You are no longer under God's divine displeasure, but you are accepted in the Beloved. E, you are without Christ. 2.11 Therefore remember at that time you Gentiles in the flesh by called uncircumcision, what is called by the circumcision made by hands, at that time you were without Christ. That's what you used to be. You were without Christ. Well, what does that mean? To be without Christ means that you are outside of God's plan. The fulfillment that all that God has intended for you, everything that God has intended for your life is found in Christ Jesus. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it is so true. In Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power, Colossians 2.9. God has no other plan for your life to fulfill all that you meant to be, all that God designed for you as a person, as a relationship between God. When sin entered into your life, that was separated. God has redeemed all of that in the person of Jesus Christ, and you were once without Christ. But now you have purpose, you have meaning, you have a destination. And you have all certainty because that's what you once were. E, or I'm sorry, F, you are aliens and strangers to God's wonderful plans and promises. Verse 13, verse 12. At that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant and promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's G. You were without God and you were without hope in the world. We were adrift. You and I, before we knew Christ, we were on a drift in a sea of relativism without any knowledge of the one true God and without any hope. Everything that we hoped for was just simply relative and it was never, never cha ever changing. We were living and existing. We were existing but not really living. Once we were far off, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. We were once far off. We were spiritually disconnected between spiritual realities in life. Day by day, we lived it without a connect with God. We were far off. So what once were we? We were dead. We walked according to the course of the age. We conducted our lives by lust. We were children of wrath. We were outside of Christ. We were aliens and strangers from God's wonderful promises. We were without God. We were without hope. And we were far off. That's who we once were. 
But now you are no longer foreigners or strangers. So who are we now? Point number two. I'm trying to go quickly here. Now who are we? Who are we now? First of all, in 2.5, it says we have been made alive. This is who you are now. You are no longer dead. You are alive. 2.5. Even you who are dead in trespasses and sins have made, been made alive together with Christ. There is a real sense of passion now in your life. Is this true? Can you say that I was once dead? And can you say today that I am alive? If you know Jesus Christ, you know that you have passed from death into life. He who hears my words and believes on him who sent me shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death to life. And this is life eternal, that you might know me, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. There is a deep sense. No one can teach this to you. I can preach it this morning, but you have to experience it. You have to know it in your own heart that I have a deep sense awareness that I am alive in Christ Jesus and that His Spirit communes with my spirit and bears witness with me that I am a child of God and He has sent forth His Spirit into my heart crying, Abba, Father. No one can teach that to you from a book. Only God the Spirit can teach that to you. What are you right now? You are alive. Second, B, we have been raised together with Christ. 2, 5, and 6. Even when we were dead, He's been made alive. And verse 6 is, and raised up together. Not only are you alive, but this morning you've been raised up together with Christ. When Christ was raised from the dead, spiritually you were raised up with him when you confess jesus christ as your lord you were not only buried with christ by baptism but you were raised again by the power of the holy spirit to walk in the newness of life and what does that mean practically it means that i have victory over sin sin is no longer my master this is who i used to be i used to walk according to the course of this world i used to be dominated by my passions and my lusts and my desires I used to be under the fear of God's wrath. I used to be a child of disobedience, but now I am resurrected with Christ. I live in victory. Sin no longer controls me. It is no longer my master. I am dead to it, and I'm raised with Christ. That's who you are this morning. Not only have you been raised together with Christ, but you have been made to sit in heavenly realms. This is who you are this morning. Verse 6b. And you have been raised together with Christ to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You share in Christ's exaltation. That's who you are this morning. D, you have been brought near, 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. What does it mean to be brought near? There is a closeness. There is an awareness in your relationship. There is a spiritual connection with God to be brought near to God once far off. So let me quickly summarize who you are now. You are alive. 
You are raised together with Him. You are seated together with Him. You are in heavenly places with Him. You who are far off are now near. The last thing that you have is now you have equal access to God by one Spirit. Chapter 2 and verse 18. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit. What does this mean practically? It means that you have availability to be in God's presence and to live in His awareness and to live in His power and to have His ultimate resources 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days out of the year. You, this morning, have access to God. Who did you used to be? You used to be dead. You used to walk according to the course of this world. You used to be under the under the influence of your lust and your desires. You were a child of wrath. Who are you now? You are alive. You are raised together. You are seated in heavenly places. You who are far off, you are now near. Now you have access to God. Point number three, why has God done this? Why does God do this? The first reason that, he, that God does it is found in verse 4. Ephesians 2.4, why does God do it? But God, why? Because our God is rich in mercy. That's why God has done it. It has nothing to do with you or what you deserve. It is because our God is rich in mercy. The second reason that God does it, because of His great love, wherewith He loved us. God has demonstrated His love for you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Why does God do it? His mercy. His great love. A third reason why God does it. God does it because He wants to display His kindness toward us in all the ages to come. Look at 2.7 that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is going to display throughout all eternity and all ages, this is what God does for those who receive His great love and His great mercy. A fourth reason why God does it. Because we become His poem. We become God's intimate workmanship that He personally takes interest in. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship. The Greek word there is poem. A poet has to know his subject. He knows it intimately and he pours his heart, his thoughts into what he or she writes in their poetry. And we become God's Poetry. We become God's workmanship. We are the creative genius of God. God created us to become a measure and a tool for His good works that we might reflect the nature and character of God. God has predestined that we should walk in these good works. And we are His workmanship. And that's why God does it. The fourth reason why, or the fifth reason that God does it, He wants to make one new man. People who were separated, 
people who had nothing in common. I mean, this morning, we've got people from every walk of life. We've got people from every different age group in here. We've got folks who drove in from California. We've got people from Georgia. We've got people from Seattle. We've got, you know what God has done? We, we had nothing in common with each other until we met Jesus Christ. And this is what God is doing. God is saying, I'm going to separate all barriers, every distinction, and I'm going to bring people together and thus make peace with people. This week, I had an incredible week spending it in the Sawtooth Mountains. But the most memorable thing that happened to me this week was walking up a mountainside and seeing this Chinese man struggling to get up this hill, leg all wrapped up and all bandaged. I'm thinking, this guy's out in the middle of nowhere. How is he going to make it? So I greeted him on the trail, and he didn't say a word. He just kept on limping up that mountain. About five minutes later, I come to another Asian man, and he's got a shirt on it says the Iron Man. And so I stopped and engaged in conversation. I said, how does this compare to the Iron Man? He goes, this is worse than an Iron Man ever could have been. And he says, did you meet another Asian-looking fellow on the trail? I said, yeah, I did. I said, he didn't say much. He says, he's trying to make it to Kramer Lakes. And I said, he'll never make it. I said, I left there this morning at 8 o'clock. And it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He goes, not, I said, his condition, I said, you go up and find him and you tell him to go stop at this lake called Alpine Lake. It's beautiful. It's right around the next turn. I said, but it's off the trail. you got to look for it. You won't find it if you don't kind of look right around this turn. And I got out my map and showed him where it was. Two days later, I met the same two guys. They were limping back down the hill, and I'm going up the hill. And the man stopped me. He says, you are our angel. And I said, I'm no angel, but I am a child of Jesus Christ. And their faces lit up. And he says, I am Pastor Martin Chang. He says, I am so sorry I didn't greet you on the trail, but I was, I was so out of breath, and I was in so much pain. He says, but we would have never gotten to Kramer Lake, and we found that lake, and we had a wonderful night there. He says, you are an angel. I said, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just a, a Christian. And we prayed together. We shared stories, and we prayed one for another. We prayed for each other's family members. He was a pastor of Covenant Bible Church in Queens, New York. And I'm a pastor of North Valley Bible Church in Ogden, Utah. And I told him when we left, I said, this is the closest that I have been to God this entire week. Those beautiful mountain peaks, those beautiful lakes, those wonderful waterfalls, they don't compare to fellowshipping with another human being who's been separated from God and brought together under the blood of Jesus Christ. That is why God has done it, because God is merciful, because God has great love, because God throughout all ages wants to show what He's doing for His people, and because God is bringing people together from every walk of life and saying, you guys are all one in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to finish my sermon this morning, because I want to respect your time, and I want to respect the children workers' time. So I'm just going to quickly go to the last point. I'm not going to do our conclusion this morning, though. How has God done this? How has God done all of this? How does God take dead people and make them alive? 
How does God resurrect people? How does God seek people in heavenly places? How does God bring people who are far off and make them near? How, how does God do all? I mean, we're sinners, right? We're wretches. How in the world can we have this kind of communion with God and this fellowship with each other? How has God done this? Point number four. A, all by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Secondly, how has God done this reconciling work? Look at 2.13b. You who are far off have been near. How? You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You read it for me. By the blood of Christ. That's as simple, isn't it? What does it mean? By the blood of Christ. Reconciliation has to come through death. If there is sin, there has to be payment of sin. And it wasn't our blood that was spilled. It wasn't our death that was died, that it had to die, that we deserved. It was by the blood of Christ. C. God has done away with the commandments. God has done away with everything that was against us by the body of His flesh through death. Look at 2.15 with me. Having abolished in His flesh the enmity of law and commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man, thus making peace. It was Christ. It was through His incarnation, through by becoming flesh. When Jesus Christ entered this world, He started His, his earthly ministry on the Sermon on the Mount, and He says, Think not that I've come to destroy the law. I've not come to destroy it. I have come to fulfillment. fulfill it. God became human flesh, incarnated, and He kept all the laws. He kept all the commandments. God kept every ceremonial command. He kept every moral law given to you and I and for sin condemned it in the flesh and destroyed the enmity. The law could only convict you and I of our and our unjustice and our unrighteousness before God. And God, how did God do it? He did it because of His grace. He did it by His blood. And He did it when Jesus Christ became flesh and took all that enmity and died in our place. D. 2.16. Let's see else how God did it. 2.16. That He might reconcile both of them to God in one body. And again, this little prepositional phrase. Through the cross. That's how God did it. It was through the cross. All of God's eternal plan came down to Christ's final hour on the cross where He cried out, It is finished. That was the hour that Jesus Christ was appointed to. In the Gospel of John, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come. The hour that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a corn of wheat falls unto the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. 
And now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause, I came unto this hour. He did it by the cross. That's what God has done. What you once were, what you are now, why God has done it, and how He did it, by grace, because of His mercy, because of His great love, through His shed blood, by Him becoming human in flesh and fulfilling all the righteousness demands of the law, and by nailing our sin, our guilt, our debt to the cross so that we bear it no more. Therefore, you're no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers. You and I are part of the household of God. God is doing something mystical, powerful, and spiritual through the local church where we are being fitted together, whereby every joint does its work and supply, and we are a habitation for the Spirit of God. This is where our God dwells. This is where He is glorified in what He's doing in you and I's lives. Father, God, thank You for this powerful, powerful epistle that Paul wrote. Thank you for the Holy Spirit writing these things and these truths. And thank you, God, for making it so simple. We don't have to be intellectuals to figure this out this morning. We are all one because Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe, the sin writer, hymn writer said. Sin had left a crimson scent. But Jesus, you have washed it white as snow. Thank you, Lord.